This episode is brought to you by Dragon Ball Legends, the mobile fighting game based on the Dragon Ball series. Featuring high-quality 3D graphics and authentic voice acting, the game follows Shallot, an original character, and his adventures with Goku and others. With intuitive controls and simple card-based gameplay, unleash combos and powerful team-based attacks. Battle players around the world in friendly matches, compete in the rankings, or team up in co-op. And now Dragon Ball Legends 5th anniversary is on. Download Dragon Ball Legends today. Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, the weekly podcast featuring conversations with local purpose-driven leaders. Leaders creating social impact through their work and fostering in a new era of social progress. We want you to listen, connect and grow with us. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. Accept and seek feedback because I think you can't grow unless you do that. And we've got a really great feedback culture at Work 180, which I really, really value. And that's one of the questions that we ask everyone who we interview because I'd love for everyone because I see it happening now. Like we have amazing ideas come from all angles of the business. It helps teams work better as well. It helps leaders get better. So it's got to, you know, come from up, down, bottom up. Those are the wise words of Valeria Ignatieva, who is CEO at Work180. And that's a little clipping from our exclusive Humans of Purpose Plus Patreon segment. A short bit of housekeeping, and then we'll get back to Valeria. First, thanks to all of you who completed our second annual listener typeform survey. On Friday afternoon at exactly 5.01pm, I used an online randomized picking tool, and I'm pleased to reveal that our winners are Simone Austin, former podcast guest, and Athanasia Price. You'll be hearing from me during the week to arrange your respective prizes. Congratulations and thank you for giving us vital feedback to improve the podcast. A key insight from the survey results for me were that 64% of you are listening to Humans of Purpose to improve your thinking or mindset and 28% of you are using it to consider your career path and meaningful work opportunities. Close to one third of you have reached out and met up with at least one of our podcast guests before. You told me that you're loving the breadth talent and expertise that explored and shared so genuinely hearing from young people who are making a difference and you love that it's a conversation with mike versus a straight up q a some things that you say i can improve on some of you wanted slightly shorter podcast length you want me to respectfully push into courageous conversations and to be more provocative this is great feedback for me i really appreciate it and i'm going to try and integrate that into upcoming episodes Read Patreon, which we've doubled since our supporters uh, have supported us since opening that survey. This has been tremendous for the show. So we've gone from, I think it was four before the show to about 11 now. And um, it's terrific to have that support. On that note, a big thanks and welcome to new Patreon supporter, Will, as well as our, our faithful McCartan, Stuart, Joel, Misha Times 2, Bonnie, Olivia, Lyndon, Joe and B. Your support helps us to keep putting out quality content each and every week. Of those of you who said you weren't keen to join Patreon uh, at this stage in the survey, up to a third of you cited not wanting any additional access or content as your primary reason. Totally fair enough, and we do appreciate you tuning in each and every week. If you've thought about podcasting before and whether it can have an impact for you or your organisation, I'm excited to be running a podcasting for impact webinar in partnership with Pro Bono Australia on 7th of November at 2pm. Humans of Purpose listeners, of course, get a 30% discount on tickets by entering promo code PURPOSE. You'll find a link in our show notes, uh, or just head to probonoaustralia.com.au and click on their events calendar and you'll find it there. Otherwise, the direct link is probonoaustralia.com.au slash events slash podcasting dash four dash impact. 
Well, today, as I mentioned, I'm thrilled to have Valeria on the show. Valeria is CEO of Work180, and Work180 is the only platform that pre-screens employers to see how well they support women's careers. A big thanks to former, to friend and former podcast guest Rachel Yang for connecting us. I'm a big fan of the work Valeria and her team are doing to create fairer workplaces. And I really enjoyed this conversation with Valeria, and I think you will too. So I am thrilled to be here with Valeria from Work 180. How are you going? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Awkward silence. No, no, not at all. Not at all. I was t- totally planned. I'm really keen and happy to have connected uh, via Rachel Yang, your good buddy from Impact Investing Group, a, a previous guest on the podcast. Why don't you lead us in with your story um, as far back as you'd like and just tell us a bit about your origin story and you know, your, your coming to be and how you're in Work 180 today. Oh, gee, I probably don't want to go too far back. Um but I guess to explain some of the passion behind what we do at Work 180 um, started back when I had my son. So at that point in time, there was no government-funded parental leave. That came in a couple of years after, so I felt quite ripped off. <laughs> and um, no flexible working arrangements, um, no you know breastfeeding rooms, all of that was kind of non-existent. And I actually thought at the time that that's just how things are. Um, and it was very, very difficult to you know get my career back on track, um, especially after becoming a single parent, um, then having my son diagnosed with um, multiple disabilities. So I got my way back into the corporate world working for tech companies. Um, But throughout the process, it was very disheartening, you know, to go to interviews and to be told that you're the ideal candidate, but Mm. because you've requested flexible working, um, we can't give you a job. It's got to be nine to five, chained to the desk type scenario. So whilst that was years and years ago, we still come across women that, you know, um, say have a similar experience. And that's why it's really, really important. fulfilling, I guess, to be able to have this business that focuses on connecting women with employees that are open to discussing flexible working, that are transparent around the fact that, you know, they have this much paid parental leave, uh, they have breastfeeding rooms, or maybe they don't. But the whole premise of Work 180 is transparency and letting women and men as well who are using the website to assess the employers before they hit that, you know, apply now button. So um, that's where my passion, personal passion stems from. So that's, that's a beautiful origin story. I always like hearing about businesses that come out of personal experience. And it sounds like for you, this was one of them. Oh, definitely. You know, my co-founder had a slightly different experience. She just had her first baby now. Um, but before that, you know, she experienced lots of sexism in the workplace, things like, you know, being at the same level as her peers, but being asked to fetch coffee for the guys. Um, so yeah, definitely a bit of an eye roll moment. Um, so, you know, we really wanted to create something that would help women just like us, um, navigate the workplace and make it, um, more balanced, make it more equal and, you know, essentially advocate for those gender neutral policies rather than just special treatment for women because we believe that you know without men being able to take flexible working parental leave and so on we're not really going to reach gender equality anytime soon well said so how did you two hook up together you and your co-founder so we used to work together at a software development company and we didn't really work on the same team so i was in marketing um, Gemma was in sales i was in melbourne she was in brisbane so um We actually, after we both left that company, we were volunteering for an industry association called FIT, Females in IT and Telecommunications. And then we kind of reconnected through that. We also found, you know, speaking of passion and purpose, uh, we were both volunteering, spending lots of time um, helping women in technology, uh, you know, kind of 
navigate their careers. And I found that even though I had an amazing role at the time, uh, consulting for myself, making lots of money, I was, I loved it, but I wasn't in love with it. Mm. And, you know, I was spending 20 hours a week volunteering for FIT, arranging all these big events for women in tech. And I thought, I love this stuff. I'd love to monetize it. So you can imagine how excited I was when Gemma rang me up one day just for some marketing advice. Um, two hours later, we're still on the phone. I'm getting super excited. Um, you know, Gemma asked if I was interested in, in joining her. She sent me her business plan, won me over, um, and here we are five years later. That's, so. that's epic. So that, that's five years ago. <laughs> yeah. And did you take funding or how did you set up um, financially? Um, so the first bit of funding um, <laughs> was Gemma's dad, who actually was our first believer, gave us $20,000. Um, you can imagine that goes a, a long way in a startup. Massive way, yep. Massive way, you know, set up for life. But it was amazing because that's what we needed at the time to develop a MVP uh, product and prove the concept. And we bootstrapped to 11 staff. And then um, Gemma led our fundraise. Um, in total, she's raised over $4.2 million. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, it was bootstrapping in the beginning, doing it really, really tough, Um and now it's getting to the stage where, you know, we've got nearly 40 staff all over Australia and the UK as well. And it's uh, really seeing that dream come to life, which is amazing. I find it very interesting what you said earlier about um, loving something or being in love with it. Um, you know, that's that's something we hear so often in work. But when you're launching a startup um, successfully, as you have, I imagine that um, – because you were doing, you know, a lot more volunteering than what you needed to do and you weren't even being paid for it. So the rational analysis would say that you'd be trying really hard in your day job and not doing much for the volunteering, but the reality can just be totally different, all right? Oh, that's exactly it. And I think, you know, the moment where pretty sure it was maybe six months into our startup and I was at the kitchen table on a Sunday uh, slaving over Canva trying to do this design, which was now like cringeworthy now that I look back at it. Um, and I realized that I hadn't eaten and it was about, you know, one o'clock or something. And back then I wasn't intentionally fasting or anything like that. So it was very unusual, you know. To- it's an entrepreneurial fast. It wasn't intentional. It just happened because I'm too busy. Too busy, but also too engrossed in it. And I stopped and I was like, here I am on a Sunday, not caring about anything else, but getting so much pleasure out of this thing that's not even making us any money right now. And that's when you know that, you know, you really are doing what what makes you, what's that cliche saying, get out of bed every morning? Oh, yeah, jump out of bed every morning. But what was the moment for you, um, obviously you believed in it from the start, otherwise you wouldn't have done it, but when when was like the penny drop moment for you that you knew this could be a thing and it could work? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think I'd have to say the very first time was when we heard from a woman and she actually told us having your website helped me identify this company and the only reason I applied with them was because I saw that they had this, this and that, whatever she was looking for at that point in time. And we were like, oh, my gosh, this is actually working because that's exactly what we set out to do. And then you hear from the actual employer saying, wow, we've just got this amazing person Um who we've been trying to, you know, hire for this role for months. Thank you, Work 180. So those, because it's a two-sided marketplace. Yep. So when those two things happened and it was all, um, you know, true to our values as well, the other incident was when we actually had to deny a company because they didn't meet our criteria. So mm. it was very hard to say no to money on the table. Yeah, you would have had to be quite brave to do that. That's it, you know, and, you know, there's another story that we share as well Um with the startup community around deny or not denying, saying no to um, funding where we had a million dollars on offer. And the only kind of side criteria of that offer was for us to remove our pre-screening process altogether. <laughs> just 
do what you do completely differently to help us and we'll give you money. It's like a dropping money bags out the front of a, you know, getaway car <laughs> situation. Exactly. But, you know, like we thought about it for just a few, uh, I guess, brief moments because at that point in time it was, you know, the that's, choice. That's a large amount of money. It is a large amount of money yeah. when you have no money, when you have mm. barely anything coming in and you're thinking, okay, do we, do we potentially fail if we don't take this or do we run it into the ground or do we take this but then fail because we – basically, you know, sell out on everything that we believe in. So we said no, and I'm so glad for that experience because, you know, after that you're like, okay, standing by your values isn't that hard. It's proven that it pays off, you know. Um, So that's that's a massive moment for you guys. And I I think it's interesting because you talked earlier about a two-sided platform. That's one of the hardest, almost complex business models to run. Did you sort of think hard about that at the beginning, whether you're going to be one-sided or two-sided? Or Do you know what? I was so naive and so positive yep. and excited yep. that I think I just brushed that off. And, you know, the other day I was thinking about um, – because I'm I'm into the keto lifestyle, as we discussed earlier, yeah. <laughs> but how cool it would be as if I haven't got enough stuff to yeah. do um, to have a, say, a keto cafe. And I was like, oh, my gosh, how would you figure out how much food to order, this and that? And I was thinking how much of a headache um, that would be. And then I th- – stopped and thought and I never thought about this way with this startup you know because what you don't know doesn't hurt you know so I think because I had zero knowledge of anything um, involved in a two-sided marketplace my background is um, b2b marketing so at least I had that oh that helps but you're essentially solving two you know of the same problems from a different perspective am I right so it's it's the it's the consumer who wants to the 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 woman who's looking for a workplace that's going to be supportive equal and fair Mm -hmm. and then the workplace is looking to hire women who are looking for that exactly so that's the value alignment yeah yep Yep. very very interesting and um so so you go ahead you do that and I guess I'm guessing Gemma's dad wasn't you know the, the hardest you know, dad, this got to help to be the dad, but what was your next major test around sort of raising and how did, how did you, how did you approach that? Well, I have to hand it to Gemma because she did pretty much everything. Um, in that sense, I, um, I remember there was one time I was basically decided that I wasn't going to attend investor meetings because there was one incident where I started an argument with an the investor because did he deserve it um later on he said to me he he thought it showed a fire in me but um in a good way and he was impressed but it was but he said something around oh I can't remember it was but basically I felt that my baby my business was insulted so I rose to the attack and also describing uh, a woman who expressed emotion as having great fire to them it's it's sort of a a bit of an eye roll uh, (laughs) moment isn't it I mean, you can't hear this on the podcast, but I will say that we've volleyed a few eye rolls back and forth to each other for Larry and myself so <laughs> Definitely. far. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> this topic tends to uh, attract the eye roll. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> so you don't yeah. do investor meetings anymore or are you back in the game now? Um, well, Gemma's done an amazing job on her yeah. own um, and I'm really proud of her for doing that. But I know there was also an incident where, you know, Gemma was being interviewed by a group of investors. They later themselves admitted, um, which is, you know, fair play to them, that they grilled her in a very different manner than they would uh, a man, you know. So it's kind of like that extra step that you need to prove yourself and so on. So um, it certainly hasn't been easy. Um, And I think, you know, I remember in the beginning um, one of the biggest questions was, you know, do you own the technology, which we didn't. Because we had white labeled, we had a white label product. We, mm-hmm. we now have rebuilt the platform with our own tech, so that was a big barrier. But it also, in a way, um, 
we chose to have an MVP in the beginning to prove the concept. Otherwise, you know, there's lots of people that invest hundreds of thousands of dollars in the technology for it to fall over in the yep. market. So I still stand by that. Um, that was definitely one of the barriers initially when raising. Um, and, you know, it's worked out really well now. And I think that that order of the way we did things is has worked, you know, exceptionally well for us. And this might sound stupid, but I've asked a lot of stupid questions on the podcast <laughs> because it's my podcast, I'm allowed to do that. But how do you start this kind of process? Like when you're trying to know things like um, how do I Google. get money? Is it all Google? <laughs> um, Gemma listened to a lot of podcasts yep. and read a lot. And, um, you know, she's mentioned, she's made a comment around, oh, anyone can do that. You know, you just got to read about it. I said, no, 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 it, you definitely can't just le- learn that. Um, that easily so I think you know practicing a lot we did um, the accelerator as well which um, one did you do we did start mate yep which was really really good so they held so a well-regarded accelerator oh it really was and in the beginning you know we had our doubts around what's this going to be like what's mm-hmm. the damage on taking you know Gemma actually moved to Sydney for a few months um, to do that what damage will that be on the business but they've been phenomenal that's how we met our lead investor Kim Jackson as well yep they really I think they have a great group of mentors um even and is that sort of like the traditional or like a really good gateway to that um, that startup journey, getting into a good accelerator program? I Still think a, so, yeah. yeah for, I recommend them to everyone I know. And, you know, if there's a business that's doing something slightly different, find an accelerator in your yep. niche. And the and networks that you get from that also are a huge bonus. Is yep. that sort of the case that you get connected in with the right people? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And any as well, some advice for anyone out there looking to do that, um, make sure you interview some of the previous um, attendees of the accelerator program. If you're not sure, because we did that, so we did our due diligence yep. on them. As you much interviewed as, them. Well, we interviewed, <laughs> not interviewed. Sorry, I should say, just kind of like so reference two, two check. stage interviews. Come <laughs> oh, you passed. You can come back for the next proper interview. That's, yeah. that's it. Um, it was just you know um, chats with people that have gone through the accelerator to see what they thought, what their learnings were, because you know it's a big investment of your time. Yep. Um, and they, some of them are quite expensive too. Ours, yeah, they took, um, I believe, Startmate invests a little bit yep. um, as well. So there wasn't an actual fee yep. per se, and there's all different ones. You know, there's free ones. There's this ones that take a bit of equity. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So do your research, do your due diligence. Um, I think that's prudent to do in any situation, really. So let's jump back a little bit and talk a bit about the sort of the nature and the size of the problem and sort of how you sort of propose to tackle it, maybe why the two-platform solutions was the right approach for you. Yeah, sure. Mm. So in the beginning, um, when we first created the website, we kind of had on each of the pages um, for the companies that we created for them, just a bit of information around what policies they have, how progressive they are. Um, Then the next step was to make it really uniform. So we found out what women valued in the workplace. We ranked it in order of um, importance. Priority or whatnot. Exactly. And then we demanded, I guess, I say demanded because – you can imagine how difficult it was to get some of this really private data from global organizations. Oh, like, yeah. You know, it's it was such a different business model around, you know, I remember the, there was a phone call where one of the banks that we had on board, they said to me, what do you mean you want our, you know, engagement rates, our parental leave entitlements public on your website? And so I had to explain that we're all about transparency. This is what women look for. This yeah. will help you actually, you know, get more. So wait, so you demand them have that public on their website? On our website. On so. your website. Yes. Okay, cool. So and I, demands are hard. <laughs> it's a harsh <laughs> word. Um, 
you requested? We requested it, yes. And, you know, you start off with a couple of companies. We now have over 140 in Australia and I think about 40 in the UK. So it became second nature almost mm. to just not worry about exposing all this traditional private data that you'd have to trawl through, you know, policies and HR manuals to find, actually all publicly listed on a website. Um but the the change that it drove has been incredible. So I'll give you a few examples. Sure. Um, I'm not sure if you know that it's not mandatory to pay superannuation when you go on either paid or unpaid parental leave. I did not know that. I, I'm yet to be a parent, but yep. I'm sure I look forward to finding out wonderful facts like these. Well, that's the thing. You know, you go on holiday and you get your super. Yeah. You go on have a baby, which in my experience wasn't exactly yeah, a holiday. Yeah, it's like a reverse holiday. <laughs> reverse holiday. <laughs> a work holiday. <laughs> oh, it was. Yeah, it's it's a tough. Tough holiday. Yeah. Um, and you don't get your super. And then that contributes to a huge gap. So at the moment, uh, women are retiring with about 50% less super. Um, so we started asking the question as part of our criteria process, do you or don't you pay super on both paid and unpaid parental leave? Yep. Back then, I'd say about 5% of the companies we had on board paid that. Mm. BHP was one of the first giants to come out and say, you know, we're paying it on both paid and unpaid uh, leave and then since then we've had so many companies join this. So movement. is this like a domino effect situation? It yes, because we celebrate the people that are achieving progress. We don't name and shame anyone. Um, and if you look at the statistics now, I'd say we have about twenty five percent of organisations. Oh, that's amazing! So you, you can demonstrate concrete change that the platform's exactly. achieved. Exactly. We um, ran some statistics earlier this year. It was around June July timeframe. And 60% of all our companies have changed either one or two more policies that affected over 50,000 employees. And I'm talking increasing paid parental leave, removing the waiting period you need to complete before you can take paid parental leave. And this encourages women to be able to move jobs, not to worry about that kind of stuff, and men as well. Um, Introducing gender-neutral policies because at the end of the day, if it's, say, a same-sex couple, Mm. two men wanting to adopt, they shouldn't be applying for maternity leave. Mm. It should be parental leave. Absolutely. Um, a lot of organisations are now doing equal um, parentally for both primary and secondary carers. So, for example, Zendesk, they yep. have 16 weeks for both primary and secondary mm-hmm. carers. We have eight weeks ourselves and we share our policies with the startups that come on board that are asking us, okay, what do we do? What what do we need to do for this to look like? And You can show the best practice ways exactly. to address it and then they can craft it to whatever they need to do. Yeah. So before you did this, um, was did anything exist like this in Australia? Um, not that we're aware of. And yeah, we, I think the, there's a gender, gender quality agency, workplace gender quality agency, WGA. So they, um, you have to report to them if you are a large business. Mm -hmm. So I think it's over 200 staff and they collect certain information that you can, um, access through their reports. But we've done, um, a lot of research around what are the top priorities for women? How do we make the site searchable? How do we attach the jobs to those companies yeah. as and well? And that's your proprietary kind of knowledge exactly. that these other places don't have. So you've gone, you've actually made the effort to ask women directly, you know, what they value and to rank things, which is, which is, I think is key. It, it really has yeah. worked out well. And, you know, to see the change as well through our HR health check, which mm. is a tool we built to help companies speed up their business cases mm. for change. So at the moment, you can plug in your policies, you can see how you compare with your peers. And as a result, we're getting policy changes, like almost oh, weekly updates from the team, even before they've brought someone on board, they've just gone through the criteria through the HR health check, and they've realized where they fall short. Yep. And it makes it so easy for them yep. to go to their manager and say, hey, did you know that, you know, we're 
everybody else, you know, uh, all our competitors are paying, say, 16 weeks paid parental leave and we're bottom of the barrel. You know, if we don't do something, um, we're going to become obsolete because there's a war for talent, right? And it's... Was there a way for you to know before you did this that people were looking for this kind of thing to exist? I sure was, you know. (laughs) I know as a job seeker, I wasted so much time, you know, just strolling through job ads, getting my confidence crushed at the end. So we actually, one of the questions we ask, which is directly from Mm. my personal experience Mm. is, and same with, you know, the women that we surveyed, is are you open to discussing flexible working at interview stage? Because it's okay if you don't have flexible working available for this particular role. Not everyone expects it. Not all roles can be 100% flex. But I just want to be able to talk about and not have that stigma I think you're totally right. And I think another thing that I've noticed that's quite interesting now as a trend in the job market is not disclosing salary range Mm. up front and making people feel really like um, kind of guilty about wanting to know what the pay is until they're – it's like – I'm not going to tell you what this job pays unless you've been shortlisted or you've got the job. But then how do you know kind of it might be paying less than what you're currently being paid in the same role or whatnot? It's it's just the lack of transparency is something that's I find very confusing. It's a power game. Yeah. Maybe that's comparable to the sort of the the parental leave sort of stuff. Our research with job seekers indicates that that's like one Mm. of the number one things they hate. So we are, we're currently educating the employers around, you know, you might actually get more applications if you disclose that and so on. We've also built what, which, um, a product that's about to launch. It's kind of at the moment just called a very, the, the name signifies what it does, feedback loop. So when you apply for a job, we'll be able to, um, talk to you about your experience feed that back to the employer um, as well to help them improve because at the end of the day, you know, there's all these large companies. People don't really know uh, what all the recruiters are doing. So it'd be really good to give that feedback around, hey, you know, the fact that you didn't have a salary listed in this role prevented this senior woman from applying for your job. Imagine how powerful Mm. that could be Mm. because then – you know, it's that data that will help people improve and what you don't know, you don't know. So I'm really looking forward to that because I think that's that next level beyond yeah, policies. Yeah, I'm really excited about that as well. That, sound, that sounds fascinating. And so do you have an eye in your own thoughts and maybe it's in your goals or um, your long-term outcomes, what's the end game for you guys? Or, you know, what what, was, what is the desired um, perfect state that could exist for workplaces in Australia with respect to gender? Well, you know, if you look at the whole diversity lens as well, it's not just gender, you know, there's cultural Mm. disabilities, you know, people that identify differently. And I think um, we're such a long way behind making sure that, like, how do we make sure that a workplace is accepting of a woman with a disability, for example? You know, I'm not, my son's got a disability, but I don't proclaim to be an expert in that. So I would love to be able to do more in that space around, you know, even looking at things like, is the job applicant system that the company uses accessible by screen reader? Because whilst our website is accessible, if you're hitting that and you can't even keep going in the job applicant, which is why the feedback loop is so important. So in a perfect world, there's no need for a website like ours because everybody gets it and everybody treats people equally and, you know, in terms of, yes, men can access the same flexibility and or, you know, there's job sharing allowed Mm. for senior roles and so on. But I don't think we're going to be there anytime soon. So for us, yeah. it's a matter of celebrating yep. people from all walks of life and companies that are doing above and beyond just the bare minimum. You know, so, so you take a very pragmatic approach, which is um, elevate up the great examples mm-hmm. and um, sort of use social norms to compel the masses to be part of that 
sort of accredited uh, group under you guys. So I find that really interesting and very, very um, clever rather than sort of saying we demand uh, this and if you don't meet this, you're out and we're just not going to talk to you. No, that's it. And we help like the beauty of um, our community as well is that anyone who wants to improve can chat to somebody else who's been through the same thing can go through the audit. There's all these tools available to help. So I think, yeah, it's just a matter of if you are trying to strive for something better, we can help you. If you're already there, well, let's talk about it. Because often people don't realize, you know, um, people don't know that, for example, Microsoft has got incredible flex working to the point of renting out some of their offices in Sydney because there's just no one there. (laughs) There's no one there. You know, like they're all working from home. It's one of those interesting paradoxes of uh, remote work when there's just no one to fill up the actual office. (laughs) From one extreme to another. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you know, no, I, I know that because I used to work with them in my previous job as well, but how does anyone else know that? Um, so it's important to share those stories and to highlight the the amazing things that are happening so mm. that other people can do better. So you tend to work across the equity of processes rather than a quality of outcomes game. So I, I'm curious to know, you know, do you have a position on things like quotas or, um, you know, sort of more what, what I would call more aggressive measures to, mm. to get um, outcome equality? Well, I might share a story on that why I think, like, again, in a perfect world, we don't need quotas. And some great businesses, like, for example, um, you know, if I look at us attracting talent, we never, ever struggle for any kind of diversity. And that's because um, I think our people are vocal in the community. People know what we stand for, so they feel welcome to apply. A lot of feedback that I get is people feel like they can be themselves um, within our company. But um, I think where quotas can work is – it forces behavior that would um, stop people taking shortcuts. So I'll tell you a story that sure. might help explain what I mean. There's a large company that we work with um, in engineering and they were amazing in terms of um, flexible working, like through to women in senior levels, men as well. They were very passionate about it. Um, I received an email one day from a lady who said to me that she'd applied with this company and had quite a negative experience. So I asked her to share what happened. She actually sent me screenshots from uh, LinkedIn where she had an interaction with a recruiter and I can feel an eye roll coming on <laughs> where he basically, the conversation went like this. She asked him about the role, whether there was any flexibility. Mm. He said, sorry, nine to five only, mm. shut down. Mm. Anyway, with her permission, I went to the company and I said to them, this is what's happened. Um, can you help please? Because I'm sure this is not what you stand for. He was an external recruiter. He got fired. She got the job. And can you imagine if we didn't intervene, she would think that this company is not walking the talk. We're full of rubbish as well. So it's That's a fascinating damaging. story. So Wow. That's, and that that's, happened about three or four times after that with all sorts of different incidents. Yeah, so you do that a bit. You're, you guys are like interveners or advocates in a way at well, times. exactly. And that's yeah. why the feedback loop will be able to do this at a mass scale rather now, than… Now, that's something I don't think there's a lot of other organisations are doing is active advocates for change. And that's it's nice to have clear examples like that to demonstrate, you know, the power of that. So I guess I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but but are you saying a little bit that sometimes we can misperceive things just because they're, it's not clear who's… Well, no one's perfect, yeah, right? So yeah. I think in that case, um, and the whole thing about quotas, I've also heard stories where um, uh, it was a tech team and the leader there gave the recruitment, external recruitment team quotas around, if you don't bring me 50%, you lose the contract, um, women. And that forced behaviour is where you do have to work harder. You might have to go and talk about flexibility, you know, because ideally the the easiest candidate for these recruiters in some cases to 
find is somebody that fits that mold around mm. available, no, you know, commitments, this and that. Yep. So you've got to work harder. That's yep. why I think. I'm oh, fine. that's Do interesting. You know I, mean? I would not have picked up on that. So it's yeah. it's like, so the quota thing is complicated because of the amount of effort that it takes sometimes and more workload that's required to fill those roles. Yeah. And I didn't realise that. You know, if you're hiring someone with disability yep. and you need to talk about what modifications yeah. would you like yep, made to course. interview, yep. that's not as easy as just getting someone in, is it? So. No. I think in that sense, um, that drives that behaviour because, yeah, not not everyone, in a, especially in large organisations, are going to be 100% on board. So how do you make sure that you are getting that kind of flow through effect? Um, we had another company which was asking candidates, what's your current salary, which you really shouldn't do because that kind of perpetuates the pay gap. Because if you say, you know, I used to be on stuff all, then they just offer you a little bit more. And Could you just say, what's my expected current salary? <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's a it's a tough one, but this candidate also rang up uh, and told us about it. We contacted this company and they took it very seriously. It was Friday night. They called me back and they said, we're so sorry. We just rolled out all this training. We don't know what happened, but thanks for letting us know. Can we talk to the candidate, which they did, and yeah. they fixed it. Like, hey, is that really too abrasive to ask people what their current salary is? Well, again, maybe another story that I can share with you yeah, that illustrates sure. this. So I made the mistake of, you know, very young, very naive um, when I got a job um, in kind of getting back into the corporate world after a long career break, the HR manager there asked me what I used to be on. So when it came time to um, negotiate a pay rise and I had smashed through all my KPIs Mm. and everything like Mm. that, I got a really small raise and she said to me, you'd be happy with this, wouldn't you, considering how much you used to be on? Oh, wow. Okay. So that was my mistake there. Um, I ended up leaving for double that amount to another company. Mm. So I was definitely worth more in the market, Mm. yet I – um, sharing what I was used to. You got rolled. Exactly. Mm. That's, <laughs> r- that's rough. Good example. You're teaching me so much. I, I suppose you can tell I've never been a recruiter or interviewer <laughs> by this conversation. Is that like the level of naivety? No, no, trust me. People like, you know, we're talking about, um, especially when you're talking to men, sometimes mm. I just don't realise. We're talking about breastfeeding rooms and how yeah. important that is. Because- we, we don't realise anything. I mean, p- 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 <laughs> part of the problem might be that I think people expect us to know more than we do or to be more clued in than what we do. And when we don't express concerns about certain things, maybe we don't act in the way that you expect, we're kind of judged to not care, whereas really mm. we've probably just got no idea. I mean, we're, we're, we're basic units, the men. We, we, <laughs> we just sort of autopilot a lot of the time. So I, I'm appreciating any explanations that are happening today. Let me ask you about your company setup. How many people do you have in your company now? I think nearly 40 at the nearly moment. Nearly 40. Yeah. And um, how do you guys – do you have conversations about sort of diversity and equity? I imagine just being a male um, and being myself that you have mainly women working with you? Um, last time, I'm trying to remember what the percentages are um, – I think we're nearly at twenty percent, maybe a bit more male. So yeah, that's pretty good. And so, do, is it something that, like, I guess I've never had a good example, but this is actually quite a good one. Do you actively have conversations with Gemma, being like, "Hey, we need more men because we only have twenty percent men"? Well, funnily enough, the other day we were talking to our first male salesperson in Australia, mm. and he said to me, "You know what? I didn't think I'd get the job because I'm a guy." Mm. So we realised we need to work on our own employer branding and mm. profile the men that do work with us to showcase the fact that, hey we'd like you to apply. It's not just for women. So we've got the reverse challenge. So that was really interesting to hear that feedback from him. He was also a little bit worried around, you know, going in and talking about all these like, um, you know, women's issues, so to speak. 
but the feedback from our clients has been amazing because a conversation yeah. a guy and a guy can have is yeah. very different to, you know, it's kind of like the barriers are removed. You don't feel stupid yeah. for asking questions. And when a guy comes in and tells another guy, hey, have you thought about installing breastfeeding rooms or how much paid parental yeah. do you have? It's a different conversation, isn't it? I totally agree. And I think that um, there's something about having the safety of another guy starting that conversation to make you feel safe to also engage in that conversation because these are very foreign things to talk about for I think a lot of men. Yeah. I don't want to make assumptions about what men can and can't talk about, but I'll just say of, of the men that I know, um, actually the men that I know are quite progressive. That's a bad example. Many <laughs> of the men I know um, would struggle, I guess, to talk about this unless someone else started that conversation. Mm-hmm. So that's really excellent example, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have a good uh, interesting story about a friend of mine who was um, travelling uh, using Qantas, and I'm not sure if Qantas is a client of yours. Are they? Um, yes. Oh, they yeah, are? Wow. Yeah, we've okay. got, um, yeah, their policies on hand, so. Their policies on yeah. hand, excellent. So th- th- there was a situation where, let's just say the, the airline is totally unknown, it's a random airline, and they went to the, the lounge uh, in that airline and um, they had a men's and a women's bathroom mm-hmm. and only, only the women's um, bathroom had the baby change table. Mm. And so the guy, um, you know, he just sort of, He's a very he's a progressive guy. He believes that he's an equal parent with with his wife, and so he is. And so his wife was, you know, somewhere else, and he was very outraged that they couldn't accommodate him as the sort of the, he couldn't go into the women's change room. So he just looked after his baby and changed the nappy outside on the floor of the mm. of the men's bathroom to make a statement. And I thought that was very yeah sort of quite a powerful imagery and powerful sort of story about um, we're getting quite far in a lot of ways, but in some ways we're really you know, not quite there yet. Well, that's it, isn't it? I mean, if men are expected to contribute, then yeah. where's the facilities for yeah. them to, um, yeah, do that? I think I heard something about, I think Huggies is bringing nappy change tables to men's restrooms. Go I'm Huggies, sure. that's cool. Yeah, so I should double check that. But, um, yeah, I think it's crucial to provide those yeah, yeah facilities so that they can do that. Yeah, and, and it's, I guess it's just, you know, one of these things where, there's also training for organisations around should we have gender-neutral bathrooms or not? I mean, is this a thing of the past? Do you think they'll exist in 20 years? I think so. I think there's a lot of people looking into that right mm. now and um, I think I want to see personally more breastfeeding rooms yep. and pumping rooms in yep. every area that does business because, you know, I was talking about this in the UK with one of our engineering customers mm. and they were saying like women come back, say they've had a baby, they've come back, they still need to express milk but imagine like – going consulting somewhere, going to another client site where there's no room for you to express. So you're actually in physical pain and you can't do your job. Like yeah. it's just such a barrier to it's, work. It's sort of People a human think- rights situation, exactly. I feel. And I, I think that I went to a co-work space the other day that had a really nice um, breastfeeding room and mm-hmm. I, I was really impressed. I, I was sort of, you know, I was thinking that I might, when I have a kid, wear one of those empathy suits so I could, you know, do the <laughs> – go. I wonder if those will exist <laughs> yeah, yeah. more prominently 20 years as well. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe, maybe they'll be everywhere. There'll be men's and women's breastfeeding rooms. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So we've heard a lot about what you're doing. I'm keen to ask and go a little bit deeper with you and learn a bit more about you. Sure. With your permission, let's commence our Humans of Purpose Plus uh, Patreon segment where we go a little bit deeper and learn more about you. This section is exclusive to our wonderful Patreon supporter community. If you believe strongly in helping people to traverse a meaningful career and life journey, well then we urge you to get behind the podcast and support us to make this content each and every week. In doing so, you'll have access to 20% bonus content in every episode, as well as a great range of options for both humans and now organizations too. Just hit the link in the show notes. 
Is it Perfect. Thank you so that? much for yeah. being part of that segment, a newish segment, but a good one. Um, so there's a question that I wanted to ask you before, but we covered so much territory, so I might jump back to that. It's about um, the survey or the, the questions that you asked all those women when, when you were designing sort of mm-hmm. your priorities and ranking them. Was, was there anything that you didn't expect women to say that came up in that survey that might have been, you know, contradicted your own initial thoughts or intuitions or personal experience? Yeah, it was actually the fact that um, gender-neutral policies was very important to them. So that highlighted the fact that women don't want special treatment. Mm. They just want equal treatment and they want men to have access to those policies as well, which I thought was really cool. Mm. That is really cool. Yeah. Was that any others or that was the main one? I think that was the main one. And the others were like actually what's really cool now is that we can track what women are clicking on the most in terms of those policies. And so at the moment, the top one's flexible working and the ability to, you know, talk about that in interview stage, followed by parental support. So that's all the, you know, things like um, uh, amount of parental leave and what that is, the minimum tenure required, breastfeeding rooms and so on. And then uh, women in leadership. So whether there's targets for Mm. women in leadership, whether there's programs, and then there's so much other stuff that it kind of changes over time. But that was the top three last time we we surveyed, or not surveyed, sorry, we can have that real-time data now available to us both in Australia and the UK. In the UK, they have um, mandatory reporting for companies um, on their pay gap. So that's also of interest to the audience. And I hope that one day we can have a similar thing brought to Australia because again it can show that effort made towards actually closing the gap and you know running all assessments and so on yeah so I mean that that's quite fascinating and I, I guess one thing I was thinking is do you spend a lot of time looking at what's done in overseas jurisdictions and best practice around how to influence change or just what's being done and think oh that would be great to have that here and yeah well having a presence in the UK and Australia is really interesting because for example in Australia um, domestic family violence policies are very much a focus for a lot of organisations in the UK. They're just not on their radar. So I've been talking to a lot of people over there asking why that is, and I don't know if it's a cultural differences around not even talking about it or not understanding that it's a workplace issue, but what I love about what we can do is we can influence that over there. We can slowly, you know, get insights from people that are doing well in a particular area in the UK to talk to the Australians and vice versa. So I think um, it's, yeah, it's really interesting to see those different trends and progress being made in different areas. And, and like we had somebody in the UK who thought that the flexible working uh, question, that criteria meant that every interview they'd have to force the conversation at every interview. We're like, no, no, not at all. It's just being able to, because you're wasting people's time. Yeah. If you, don't talk about it and then it gets brought up at office stage, for example, then yep. you've got to go back to the drawing board. So you might as well just discuss it up front. Yep. So, you know, we put them in touch with someone in Australia who was introducing flexible working and operational roles, which is what they were struggling with. And mm. now they feel a bit more, you know, enlightened and equipped with how to deal with these conversations and so on. So, yeah, it's that kind of shared purpose across the community that's helping drive change, which is, you know, where it happens. That's exciting. And so are you, do you have an inkling or have you done this before or thinking about doing it of taking sort of a sample of the companies or all of them that are going through your accreditation or have been through and sort of maybe benchmarking the performance against uh, a sample that haven't? Yeah, that's definitely coming. So yep. with all this data that we've got coming into around women applying for mm-hmm. jobs, you know, what happens to them, well, what results companies get that change faster and what, you know, policies they have versus um, the the rates of success. So all of that is um, being gathered as we speak. So I'm really excited about the future because that's going to be so powerful. Um, and I think, you know, that you've got um, 
one of the you know key um, drivers, I guess, of success for you guys might be that you've got that repository of rich data that so many other partisan organisations would love to know about. Exactly. So there's the, the teaching around that, that the you know the the um, the thought leadership around that. There's a lot of uh, exciting avenues to open up. Yeah. So rather than you know put it words in your mouth, um, what are you excited about that's coming up for work 180 that you want to specifically shout out? Well, we're launching the US. Um, that's wow, going to be that's pretty huge. Yeah, that's going to be really um, interesting. Um, I think, given that they're so far behind, it's almost going to be not too easy to highlight the people that are doing really well. But it'll be really nice to uh, be able to provide that transparency over there. Um, and then, yeah, the feedback loop is something that I'm really, really excited about because we're so candid at first, uh, whereas most job boards traditionally are kind of putting the employers first. Um, that I think it'll be really nice um, to be able to close those gaps between things like, you know, most candidates apply for a job and then never hear from the employer. And if we could showcase how much more effective the employer could be if they just had that acknowledgement loop um, activated or even the feedback that they provided interviews to help women grow, um, you know, everyone wants feedback, right? And some of the stuff that people are receiving at the moment is just as empty as you're not a good culture fit, which is terrible, you know, Mm. so – um, how do we gather more data to help companies improve in that sense is really, really exciting. So I can't wait to see what that brings. And then, yeah, next year the US will be very interesting and another big, whole big challenge. It's super exciting. Now, just talking a little bit about sort of balance, I mean, you've got a lot going on in, in your life. How do you manage your own um, well-being and make sure that you're, you know, like good to go every day at this ferocious pace? I think I've only recently learned how to um, know oneself <laughs> in, you know, limited capacity. But what I'm talking about is energy levels. So, you know, sometimes I feel so exhausted that I know that there's no point pushing through because what I do is going to be absolutely um, just like wading in quicksand. And I'm better off having a rest, switching off, waking up early and tackling that. So before I didn't really have that awareness, I just kind of plowed through and potentially, you know, um, didn't get enough sleep and so on. So that's been really good. Or if I'm feeling a bit stale, I know to, you know, get up and go somewhere else to, I love to roam and work or just to go for a walk. Um, exercise is really important. Um, I've only now started getting to the point where I may get like a weekend here and there Mm. to not work, but Mm. I love work so much that I'm not really looking at as a balance between work and other stuff. If you really enjoy what you're doing, I don't think there needs to be any kind of pressure on, you know, I get comments all the time from people like, oh, you need a holiday, you need this or you need that. And it's like, well, yes, but if I'm really enjoying what I do, it doesn't feel like I need to, you know, get away from from it. So yeah, to I totally agree. And I've never seen a better example of that than actually my wife who is constantly working. But even when we're on holiday, we'll go somewhere sunny. She got the laptop out on her legs uh, working while she's sunbaking. And that, that for her is the dream. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. Yeah, yeah because yeah, it's it, that's it. And I think people don't get it if they haven't experienced it. Yeah, I didn't get it actually originally because um, the the work I do love my job, but I think one thing I um, love doing was well, the thing that I love doing is really this, the podcast, and it, that's very different. But I think I haven't had the pure experience of being wrapped up in my own 
business full time that I love. And I, I am starting to understand it slowly, but it just, it takes us time to get it. I think if we haven't had that experience. Yeah, yeah. that's it. And, you know, if you're in love with it, it's like taking work on a holiday. It's a special, yeah. you know, I love the fact that we're all remote and I can work from anywhere, but there's yeah. a time where you think, you know what, by switching off today, I'll probably be better tomorrow. And then when you feel happy to come back to work, even after a short break, that's when, you know, you know, you've had a good recharge. I want to um, end by first of all asking you what are the things that men can do today to, to be more aware of these issues and to support Work 180 and um, the cause that you're promoting today? And then also what can women do uh, in the same vein to help themselves regarding, um, you know, whether it's trying to find the right workplace on your platform or connect more? Yeah, sure. Well, I think that anyone um, should encourage their workplace to complete the HR health check. Mm-hmm. So if you go to work180.co, scroll down to the bottom, you'll see HR health check there. Um, and it was funny, I was at a conference, uh, mining leadership conference last week, and one of the guys there was like, oh, we've got 10 men, we need to hire a woman, what are the legalities of doing so? <laughs> How charming. <laughs> he was really concerned about the legalities. And I said to him, look, the workplaces that gave me a chance and, you know, when I was completely kind of derailed with my career, they're all um, owned by men. They were all small tech companies. They were family men. They might have not experienced breastfeeding or, you know, the womenly duties as such, but they knew what it took to support a woman and they let me work flexibly, blah, blah, blah. So you you might be surprised. This is what I said to the guy. You you might be, you know, a really good workplace right now that women just don't know about. And then he did the HR health check and he said, I can assure you that we would fail this miserably. So this is really great. We'll take this back to the leadership team and see what we can implement. Um, and for women, I think, you know, definitely be choosy in, in your employers. There's a statistic that one of our employers shared with us. They hire or they get about 80,000 applications a year. Men take about six weeks to negotiate. Women, on average, two weeks. So what does that say, you know, around – Women just accept less immediately and don't bargain or negotiate. A lot of women just, you know, I was yeah. one of those women thinking, oh, a flexible role, yeah. I will be your slave for life. That's yeah. all I care about. Don't care about pay, don't care about anything yeah. else, career progression. So, you know, we need to be choosy. Yeah. We need to ask the question. If they're on Work 180, you could say to them, oh, I've seen you, you know, you tell me more about how your team works flexibly because I see that you're accredited. That's great. You know, conversation starter. And so uh, for women, they can definitely, if like women who are seeking to find jobs that are uh, more, I, I suppose, um, friendly. Uh, they they can go to the platform as well and learn yeah. more there. Check yeah. check out the the catalogue of uh, workplaces. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Check out the policies. See what suits you. If you have any questions, email us. Uh, we're, we're more than happy to help. And what's the best way to get in touch with you and learn more about your work? Um, so hello yep. at work one eighty dot co. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming. My pleasure. Great chatting. Thanks. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player or the link in today's episode notes. Why not share the podcast with your networks? After all, 62% of our subscribers come from word of mouth recommendations and social shares. You could also leave us a five-star review and some kind words in the iTunes store. If you love what we do each week and want to support the show, you should join our growing community of Patreon supporters or consider becoming a show sponsor. To learn more about all of that, just head to humansofpurpose.com. 
This episode is brought to you by Dragon Ball Legends, the mobile fighting game based on the Dragon Ball series. Featuring high-quality 3D graphics and authentic voice acting, the game follows Shallot, an original character, and his adventures with Goku and others. With intuitive controls and simple card-based gameplay, unleash combos and powerful team-based attacks. Battle players around the world in friendly matches, compete in the rankings, or team up in co-op. And now Dragon Ball Legends 5th Anniversary is on. Download Dragon Ball Legends today.